Hey everybody, you are listening to the Church Theology Podcast, a podcast on the church, for the church. My name is Kirk Miller, here with Dan Allen. Hey. And today we continue our series on how to read the Bible. What are we looking at for today's topic? So today we are going to look at one that I would consider the most important Bible reading tool you can Oh wow, that's pretty high up there. Like if I... Like for real, like if I seriously only had like one hour with a person, and that's all the time I was gonna have huh. um, to give them something to read their Bible better, this would be what I would talk about. Interesting. So it comes with a picture, and the picture—I'll just describe it to you. Okay. Um, it, it, it's just four dots, uh, and so if I asked you, what are those? You know, somebody might say, "Well, well, they're dots," but if I gave a little bit more. Uh, around the dot, uh, then like if I draw another dot right next to it with a curved smiley face looking thing, you'd realize like, oh, that wasn't a dot, that was an eyeball. That was just one more, that was just one piece of a, something I was going to develop into a smiley face. Right, yes. Got it, got it. Uh, or if I drew a line directly underneath that dot that was vertical, it would be the letter I, right? Sure. Or if I drew several circles around the dot, uh, all just kind of getting bigger and bigger, you would say, oh, that's like a target, like a bullseye. Yeah. That was a bullseye. Yeah. Uh, or if you drew uh, a line above the dot of uh, going vertical, you say, oh, that's an exclamation point. Yep. And yep. we could go on and on. The yeah. point is that the dot, um, if you just look at it on its own, uh, you might misunderstand what it is. You have to look a little bit wider to see like, oh, that fits into a bigger picture. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, the point is that every verse of the Bible gains its meaning because of the surrounding verses. So the principle goes like this: It's called "Never read a Bible verse," which sounds a little bit right. <laughs> sounds right. a little funny. Yeah. Don't ever read the Bible. No, that's not. <laughs> yeah. Don't read a Bible verse. It's like a, yeah. it's a cheeky way of kind of saying you got to read. Don't read a verse on its own. That's right. But always read it. With everything else that's, that's right. going around. In light of its context, yeah, or we'd say the gra- grammatical context. So uh, just to be clear, this title I take from Greg Kokel. He runs a ministry called Standard Reason out in California, Christian Apologetics Ministry. Okay, yeah. Uh, I've really enjoyed his work over the years, but uh, I just always thought that title was captivating. Never read a Bible verse. Yeah. So yeah. we know this in language anyways, right? Let's take the word. We'll just take it on a word level. Take the word bank. Yep. What does the word bank mean? Yeah, I mean the first the first idea that comes to my mind is like a financial institution, that, right? That that loans money and keeps your money. Absolutely. And, yeah. Yep. That's definitely one. Um, what about the place where you play King of the Mountain? Did uh, you play like, that as a kid? I think so. Like you know, like, like on a snowbank. On a snowbank. There yeah. you go. I mean, we, right. I, did yeah. you just play it on snow, or can you play it on a regular hill? I guess you can mainly play it on I snow. So yeah, like a snowbank yeah. though. Yeah, yeah. a snowbank. Uh, or any, can you think of any others? Uh, like uh, the bank of a river. Yeah, that's right. A river bank, mm-hmm. right? Where you go catch some good fish or something. Yeah. Uh, there would be like a bank shot. Yeah. Like basketball or pool. Yep. Uh, bounce it off the edge. Yep. Yeah. Or you could, I could say to you, like, "Hey, I'm going to be there tomorrow. You can bank on it." Yeah. It's like it's not even. It's it's just it's a form of speech that's like you can trust me yeah bank on it and some of those uses may be similar like i wonder if bank shot and bank of a real like the edge kind of idea or the snow bank kind of like when you push the snow on the edge but nonetheless those aren't all the same is your that's right like even when there is some similarity 
you know, you're going to take it to the bank. Maybe that's alluding, I think that's yeah. alluding to a financial bank, but it's used figuratively. So like, yeah. you wouldn't, just on the word itself, You, if you just say the word without any other, without it being in a right. sentence or a larger thought, you yeah. have no idea that's what right. the exact meaning that's is. That's right. There, you at least know some options, but you don't yeah. know which one you're referring to. Right. Right. Exactly. So let's say I said, um, hey, Kirk, meet me at the bank this afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, now you can you can rule out some options, right? It's I'm not using the kind of form of speed a bank shot, yeah, yeah. Uh, or like you can bank on it, like so. Now I've narrowed it, yeah. Um, but let's say I said, "Hey, I got paid this morning, and I can pay you back today. Meet me at the bank." Yeah, that might get you to the um, to that to there. Um, or let's, let's I'll just add some more. I got paid this morning. I can pay you back today. Meet me at the bank this afternoon. I'll bring the worms and we'll catch ourselves some dinner. Yeah. So now so, I'm like, wait, are we going to the financial bank? Or are we going to the bank? Of the right. Yeah. 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 Most likely now I'm kind of saying like, I'm going to bring the worms. We're going to have a catch of fish. We're, we're going to be at the river bank. Or whatever, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, the whole point is no verse of the Bible is an island unto itself. Every verse has to gain its meaning. Uh, our interpretation of it based on the surrounding verses. Yeah. And so we need to build the practice to never read a Bible verse as if it just exists in isolation. Yeah. And again, we know this um, with other forms of F- writing. Yeah, so think about the different genres. Like one one of the main genres we interact, a lot of us interact with in the Bible is the epistles or yeah. the letters, the New Testament letters. If I get a letter from someone, like I don't know if I've ever done this, like just take the letter go to a random spot in the right, letter right. and just pull out a sentence right. and just like act like, wow, that's really meaningful. Just that sentence on its own without right. having read the entire, and normally we read the entire letter, right? Right. Just like read parts of it and be like, I'm going to sit and think on that for a while. I'll read the rest of it later. <laughs> right, 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 right. So like, um, yeah. or like in a narrative. So like something that's telling a story. I don't just, I was reading my daughter's Peter Pan recently, and I didn't just like open up to a random point in the yeah, book exactly. and just yeah. pull out a sentence from the story. Yeah. But I think, again, I think a lot of that has to do, the reason we sometimes do that with the Bible where, you know, we can pull out, we think of like these little nuggets of mm-hmm. truth or whatever. Mm-hmm. We kind of pull out, you know, some small part of the whole of the whole section is because we we all of a sudden get in kind of this mode where we think the Bible works differently. Right. Which right. of course the Bible is unique as God's word. Mm-hmm. But as writing, it's it's utilizing human That's right. forms of yeah. writing. We shouldn't in that sense we shouldn't really treat it as something right. something like bizarre. Yeah. Um and yeah. so you don't want it you wouldn't pull out just a random verse or phrase from a story or a random line from a letter. Why would we do that with the Bible? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. that's a great point. Let, let's uh, take a look at some example or an example here. Let's go to Matthew 7, just so we can see uh, why this is so important. So Matthew 7, chapter, or Matthew 7, verse 1. <laughs> Matthew 7, chapter 7. <laughs> go for it. All right, Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not that you not be judged. Okay, good okay, verse. So that's the yeah. whole verse, right? Uh, you've probably heard that before. Yeah. Um, we might hear this from somebody saying you shouldn't judge people. You shouldn't tell them that they're wrong. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. All right. So the taking that super literally, that means the courts downtown, we should dis- we should sure, abol- yeah. we should abolish yeah. them. You yeah. Know? We should, yeah. you know, and I can't, if someone's doing something that the Bible clearly says is wrong, I guess it's not my point. Yeah. Place to, 
you know, hold to those things. And Mm -hmm. yeah. And I've seen, especially kind of like the unbeliever kind of pointing this at the Christian is like, it's like your Bible says says you shouldn't judge. judge. You shouldn't tell me what's wrong. Yeah. So So how do you evangelize by pointing out someone's sin? Right. Yeah. Right. So let's read even just from verse one to verse five and, and see if there's anything in the verse that says, huh. If we read it that way, that would actually be wrong, mm-hmm. It'd be different than what he's saying. So um, you want to read from verse 1 to 5? Sure. So Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? And how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Great. Yeah. So did you, did you have, I'm putting you on the spot here. Yeah. Um, Did you notice anything in that context that says, well, maybe maybe he's not talking about um, that when he says, don't judge not. That he does not mean, hey, you shouldn't tell someone that they're wrong. Yeah. Um, well, one of the first things to note is that at the very end, he says, once you've sort of examined yourself, once you've judged yourself, taking the log out of your eye, then you'll be able to see clearly the speck out of your brother's eye. Right, yeah. So there's a sense in which he's like, it's not that you don't take the speck out of your brother's eye. Yeah. But maybe don't be a hypocrite about that's it. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, because yeah. the idea is for the judgment you're going to pronounce, that's the same by mm-hmm. that same standard, by that same measure, you're going to be judged. Right. So it's less about, in some ways you might say he's, Jesus is, is saying, don't is, is telling us not to, um, not to demonstrate a, a judgmentalism. Yeah. Not that we never actually make a judgment. Um, I think it's elsewhere, like in John's gospel, Jesus says, judge with right judgment. Mm-hmm. So unless Jesus is contradicting himself between these two accounts, you know, he says, don't judge by appearances, but yeah. judge rightly. Yeah. Well, but part it, of that would is be contradicting himself in the same paragraph right, here. Exactly. Even well. here. Yeah. So yeah, the idea is more about a hypocritical judgment where right. you're judging others for things that you yourself are doing. You're applying a standard to others that yeah. you're not applying to yourself. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. This is exactly right. Cause at the end he, he specifically says that. Now, once you've taken care of yourself, you should go to your brother and mm-hmm. take the speck out of his eye. Yeah. Um, so that is how we care for people. Yeah. Even later in the gospel, in Matthew 18, you talk about the passage about like, mm-hmm. church discipline. He's talking about if a brother yeah. sins against you, go to him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Actually, that's that's another one. Let's let's go to it. Matthew sure. 18 is a good place. Uh, in verse 20. Um, so oh, that yeah. would be yeah. one example of um, Matthew 7, 1. An example that a verse that's oftentimes taken out of context. Mm-hmm. It's just reading the one verse. But if you just read a couple sentences far, <clears throat> farther, you realize like, oh, that's not what he's saying. So sometimes we can actually say the exact opposite. If we're just reading the one verse, we yeah, can actually yeah. give an opposite meaning of what it's saying. Um, now, Matthew 18, um, I think we'll see this way where it gets uh, misquoted at times or used in a different way. Um, it just, we, we could be more precise. Yeah. So Matthew yeah. eighteen twenty, uh, what does that read there? It says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Right. This verse gets quoted a lot. Yeah. Where do you usually hear it quoted? Um, oftentimes people like quote it as, 
like providing a definition of a church or something like uh-huh. there's two of us or if two of us pray like yeah and god's i've had people mention that to me like if now if we there's two or more if we pray god like will automatically answer this right. kind of yeah. idea or something yeah that's right oftentimes I, prayer meeting seems to be uh yeah. the very common one or like a even a small group type mm-hmm. but but yeah you're exactly right now if we just let the context kind of demonstrate what what he's going after why he's saying that I think this will just help us be more precise in what he's getting at. Mm-hmm. Not that it's untrue. Mm-hmm. Or not um, that you couldn't that you, make applications to correct. other contexts. Yes. But you have to make sure you're doing those applications legitimately from the how it was used originally. Yeah. yeah. So if, if you notice in chapter 18, most of this chapter um, is about caring for those who have sinned. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, beginning in verse 10, you have the parable of the lost sheep. And about going out to, to get the lost sheep. Um, and then you have specific instructions to the church if, you're, if your brother sins against you. That you go to your brother and then if he doesn't hear you, then you go get others. And then if he still doesn't respond, then you bring him before the church, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then verse 18. So he ends with like, if then you release him from the church. Or this is a, if the him. person is unrepentant, unrepentant and eventually right. the church has to dismiss them. And right. That's right. going to treat them as a sinner at this treat point. Treat them as a Gentile and a tax collector. Yes. There. And then verse 18, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. He's talking to the church here then. And whoever, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two or three of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And then Peter says to him, well, Lord, how, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus says, no, like 70 times seven or 77 times. Mm-hmm. So it's right in, in the middle there at the end of the, the how to treat a brother that you're disciplining and right before Peter's question that he says this. So in light of that context, uh, do you have, do you have thoughts on what he might be getting at? Like why yeah. why that statement is there? Yeah, well, he is essentially giving the church. Um, he's he's demonstrating the church has authority to practice this yeah. on account of Christ's presence and the language yeah. of whatever they whatever they loose will be whatever they loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Whatever they bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Um, they're essentially exercising the keys of the kingdom at this yeah. point, as yeah. Jesus calls it elsewhere. And so right. when he says where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm among you, is, is his say, way of saying um, directly in that verse, the, with the direct idea in that verse, is that I am I am present with you to help guide those decisions, to, yeah. that you're, you can trust that I will lead you in those things. Yeah. The church has this authority I've given it. Yeah, which is... I mean, if you've ever yeah. been in that situation, I mean, we're both pastors, so we've yeah. experienced that. That is incredibly encouraging, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you need that confidence. Right? right. Like, nobody wants to discipline a brother. Yeah. And especially to that extent, where you're actually needing to excommunicate them out of love um, as a form of restorative discipline. You long for the brother to come back. But that's heartbreaking. Uh, it can cause you to have hard nights of sleep or whatever it is. It's hard. Yeah. But then when Jesus breaks in and says, yeah, but I want you to know this. When the church gathers where two or three of you are agree on this is the right move to care for this brother, I'm with you in that. Like, that, that's comforting. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that's where that phrase comes from. Uh, Jesus is trying to empower the church to, to give the church confidence to actually exercise its authority. Like you say now, uh, does that apply to a prayer meeting and stuff? Like, yeah, like that's true. Like it, it is a true statement where two or three are gathered. Um, but we should at least make sure that it's heard in the context of church discipline and making sure that we're doing church discipline when, when we see that it needs to happen. Uh, but use that with as an idea of confidence for us. Right. So that one's not going to take us to a place where, oh, the, using it at a prayer meeting is misreading it like in a ne- really negative way. Like now it's like you've totally changed, totally the changed it. Or where Matthew it's seven, it. yep, yeah. where Matthew seven would, uh, you're saying the opposite of what Jesus. You can is actually saying. like really get off in yeah. terms of what it's saying. Yeah. Um, but reading the context will make it ensures that you have the confidence. Okay, I'm reading this correctly. That's right. Yeah. And and it can it will refine and improve your understanding that's right. of the passage. Yeah. Yeah. Now I I actually feel like in most disputes like when you're talking with people about certain interpretations if you just read the context um it solves most it of it solves them. most of it. Yeah. Cuz you you just let the context determine the meaning. Now it's dangerous though. I will say that although this I think is the most helpful of all bible interpretation tools this is probably the most dangerous. Yeah, and why is that? Meaning like we all kind of have these pet verses that uh, we cherish. Some of that might be because God really used a passage in our life Mm -hmm. and strengthened us. And when it's shown that, well, that's actually not what that verse means, that is very unsettling for us, right? And so it's like to question that for someone is like, well, no, like God spoke to me through this. And it's like, well, fine. Like it's it's like, so we just need to, we want to talk about this with humility with people. Like, yeah, I do think it's right to point out where when people are doing this, not maybe not all the time. I'm not going to jump on people all the time in like small group or something. Yeah. But if, if it, if it's, they're using it incorrectly, like in a bad way, like then, then we should. But um, so we, we just want to be careful. You know, we also have like people might have verses up on the wall and, you know, it's just <laughs> printed, like, like yeah. printed. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Which isn't wrong. Yeah. Right. But it's uh, or people memorize just a verse at a time, which, again, isn't wrong. It's just sometimes that can contribute to sure. this a poor reading practice. Yeah. And, and it's not to say you can never just like cite a, like absolutely. one verse or something. The yes. point being is that you will have done the work. You'll have done. You'll know what that verse means in its context. Right. So it's not that you can't like because even the scripture will like cite. We'll see the New Testament citing things where it's just like yeah, maybe it just cites right. one verse. Yep. So it's obviously not saying you can never just you know quote a verse or something. Yeah, that's right. But it's always within what it meant in its context. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now I would say even like heretical teaching, if you just use this principle can guard you from that. So here mm-hmm. would be an example from Colossians that Jehovah witnesses will use. Oh yeah, sure. we will go to Colossians chapter one, verse 15. Is this the one that talks about Christ as the firstborn? Yeah, that's right. So chapter one, verse 15 uh, says he referring to the son, uh, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Yeah. So they would look at that and say, well, look. He's he was the, the first firstborn. thing that was yeah. created. So he was yeah. created. Out of all creation, he was the firstborn. So he's right. like the first created thing. That's right. Yeah. Now, if we just apply our principle, again, this is it's it super simple. Yeah. This, yeah. this guards us from it. Look uh, at the next verse. Yeah. Or the one the one before it. He, he uh, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for, this is the verse after, like yep. you're saying, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So what what, what is it in the next verse that you're saying um, actually guards us from that teaching? Yeah, so... He is the one through whom all things are created. Meaning, mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. on the side of uh, he's on the side of being the creator, not on the side of being creation. Yeah. See, he's not yeah. the first created things. He himself is the one who That's created right. all things. That's right. Nothing yeah. exists apart from him creating it. That's right. And so it goes. It brings us back to the word firstborn. Firstborn. We have to actually ask. Well, what does that? Right. What does it mean for yeah. him to be called? firstborn yeah so a little trick what you can do is trying to like insert kind of options yeah for that um right so um or reverse the reading as well so if that word for by him all things were created if that's uh like because like he is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation because by him all things were created mm-hmm. um so some are going to say um, the Jehovah Witness say that the firstborn means he was the the first thing created in all creation. Mm-hmm. Like right? born is referring to his creation, and so he's the first yes. created. Yeah. Thing. Yep. So if we read it that way, it would say he was the first thing created of all creation, because by him all things were created. Which like, that doesn't make that doesn't make sense. Right? <laughs> yeah. But if firstborn, the other option would be like the the preeminent, mm-hmm. like that's the way David is spoken about as a, in the Psalms, as the king, the firstborn king of mm-hmm. the nation. Today or, I begotten or of Israel. Yeah, but yeah. even the way but that he wasn't first, the very first, like chronologically, like in terms of his actual bio, like right. biology, he like was he, second, he had, right? He many, was after Saul, yeah. right? And um, he had many older brothers, from, right? That's from, right. In terms yeah. of his family of origin, yeah. yeah. But you were going to say something else, yeah, yeah. But then, yeah. So you're saying Saul in terms of kingship, but I was going to say too, even just understanding how. The what what firstborn would have meant in that culture mm-hmm. in terms of like the pre, this was the one who got the yeah that yep. with the inheritance yep. and like they had a uh, there's like a technical term for like that concept within culture yeah. but essentially the the firstborn was seen as carrying the most responsibility and also yeah. then had the most privilege yeah and so they're the preeminent one and so yeah. this is a way of calling Jesus the preeminent one yeah and that helps us make sense of verse 16 where it says for or right that's because. right because this yeah. is the reason he's the preeminent yeah one. that's right because he's the one who created all that's things. right so he's yeah. preeminent over all of it that yeah. actually that, makes sense that then makes of perfect the sense flow, right. that's right that flow between those, those that's lines. right yeah yeah so again there would be just an example of just letting the grammatical context determine what that phrase means and it's going to guard you from error yeah that's good so um there's, so there's some examples. When we think about what could help us do that, um, let's just talk about that real quick. Um, how, how can we be better at reading like this, so like reading wider than a single verse? Yeah. And that may seem obvious, but any kind of helpful yeah. things we'll that read like, more <laughs> than a verse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like right? reading the entire book. Yep. Or even just reading several paragraphs back, even just right. reading the paragraph even, even itself, the paragraph. if yeah, that's all you can manage, yeah. just to try to gain the the larger argument yeah you know? that's right i think even you know when, with our like memory verses like that even just that can be helpful not that you have to memorize the whole paragraph but even just knowing that paragraph for that memory verse is just read the paragraph in. and then yep. mem- memorize the verse you're going to memorize yeah. but read the paragraph so you sure. know how it fits in that's right so like that. yep yeah um i think if if you can ever get rid of the numbers like read 
read a, oh, uh, sure. a copy of the Bible that doesn't have the numbers in there. Sure. Um, I, th- I think he was a uh, Gordon Fee. I remember listening to a lecture by him. He was a professor, as you, as you know. Um, he, he uh, I remember him talking about. He's like, you know, it, it's really strange that we have numbers in our Bibles. That's really weird. <laughs> Which, like, can you imagine, like, somebody writing you a letter and having numbers like this? This is strange. Yeah, <laughs> and it really is. Um, if you can imagine that, like, your your loved one writes you a letter, two page letter, and it's got like you've got put it into chapter modes and and Inverses, broke it out yeah. in sentences. So it's helpful numbers. if you're not familiar, like. The Bibles we have, I mean, even for like a good part of church history, they didn't have chapter numbers. They didn't have verse numbers. Those are not original. It's Mm -hmm. not that when God inspired these different writings and they occurred, like when Paul wrote Colossians, that Paul added those things in. That was added later. Right. And so they're useful. Absolutely. So we can can quickly turn the same So that we can say Colossians 1.15 and we know exactly where to go. Or when we're preaching, we can say, hey, look at this verse or something. So they have their use, obviously. But your point being like, there are ways you can buy editions of the Bible. They're called reader's editions, where they take out the chapters and verses Mm -hmm. so you can read it like you would read in uh, any other book. Yeah. In other words, sometimes even though those those verses and chapters have uses especially mm-hmm. within corporate like using a bible with other people so we can yeah. all reference together in your own individual reading sometimes they can be distractions right you can automatically assume that when a chapter starts that that's a new section right. but sometimes sometimes the, they're bad sometimes they're, yeah like the person yeah. who did those numbers like they weren't they weren't perfect and they yeah. made mistakes and that's right. um even even like the esv for example another translations do this they'll put headers in so like at colossians right before verse three it says thanksgiving and prayer or at the beginning it says greeting it says the preeminence of christ mm-hmm, before mm-hmm. verse 15 so like those can be helpful but they can also be distracting yeah, they, they can just cause you to yeah. just bring in assumptions that may not be helpful and so if you can get a reader's edition that takes verses and chapters out so there's just less distraction or if you have a but I know there are, I know like Bible programs allow you to take those things out. That could be yeah. one way. So, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely agree. I, I think even if, even if you can do that for a short time, cause I remember when I did that the first, first time, just like how helpful that was. Yeah. And you sort of retrain your brain to, to not pay attention to the numbers as much as you read. Um, so I don't, I rarely read without the numbers now. Cause now you because, know not yeah, to look for them. And I've just gotten yeah. used, you know, but so, so let even them sit if, in the background, that's right. Yeah. So even if you can get a copy, like you don't want to buy the whole thing and you know, you can probably talk to someone that has a program, um, that can actually strip the numbers out for you yeah. for, you know, read one or two books like that and just kind of get your brain and mind used to it. And sure. then, and then you'd probably be fine too. Yeah. Um, and then I, yeah, I guess I just, it might be helpful to challenge one another at times, you know, it, when you hear someone just saying a verse and you just ask them what the context is. And, yeah. You know, <laughs> what does that verse mean? Like, let's look at it, um, you know, just to make sure that we're we're doing it right, you know. Yeah, it's good. Um, do you want to take a look at one more real quick? Sure, let's it's do it. It's just a really popular one. Um, other ones, if you're wanting to look at some to check out. Um, you could ch- take a look at Colossians three two. I find is oftentimes set the uh, set your mind on things above, right? Not on earthly things. Yep, yep. Um, that one I, I I find is oftentimes misquoted. Um, Matthew ten nineteen, and I'm blanking right now what that one is about. But let's take a look at Philippians four thirteen. Yeah, this one we all know. Yeah, yeah. 
And what, what is it? It is, I can do all things through a Bible verse taken out of context. <laughs> uh, I can do, I've seen that like put on mugs and things like that. It is, I can do all things yeah, through funny. him who strengthens me. So this is like a yeah. great verse if you need like a workout shirt to go to the gym. Right. Like put this on there and like kind of lift all the weights. That's right. Through Christ who strengthens me. Or, yeah. You know, it's a great, it's a great, it's great team athletes, verse. Yeah. yeah. For your basketball yeah. team or yeah. soccer Unless team. the other team's wearing it too. Yeah. Then it just cancels <laughs> it. Can't, they cancel each other out. Both yeah. teams can do all things and yeah. they just end up We just get victory, uh, participation trophies. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so nobody could win. What, they... <laughs> so what does this, ver- <laughs> what does this verse mean in context though? Is that, I think Paul is talking about basketball, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let's go ahead and read it. And then we'll just sum it up. We, we won't belabor it. But yeah. um, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to be, to abound in any in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yeah. So in the context there, the all things is all the things he just got done talking That's about right. specifically. It's all these things. Yeah. So what are those things? It's it's the ability to be content in a variety of circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. I have I can do I can I can be content. I can do all these things being content in situations of plenty or in situations of hunger and abundance or in need. How? Because Christ is strengthening right. me to do that. Yeah, because it's my contentment's not in the circumstances. Yeah. It's in Christ himself. Yeah. And so I can I can go through the highs and lows of life yeah. and be content. So it doesn't mean, for example, that this verse doesn't have an application to basketball or whatever, right. but it's a different application. It doesn't mean you can shoot all the three-point shots or, yeah. dunk, or dunk. Like if you're me, yeah. Yeah. there's probably no chance I would ever be able to right. dunk, right. right? I can't use a verse to say that. Yeah. Now, I could use a verse to say, say I really cared about basketball and I was you know, really into it and I struggled with uh, like making it an idol or something, then I could say, you know, this verse enables me to be content with my ability, yeah. whether I, I'm on a team that is winning or a team that is losing yeah. or whatever the case yeah. may be. So which the application I just think that, is different. Which I just think the the meaning of the verse that way is just so much more powerful, yeah. right? Because if, it, if it's always just like Jesus can get me things, you know, I, I can do, I can get a new job, I can, you know, be whatever. Yeah. Because of Christ, um, it's just it limits the the strength of it. But if you can say to someone, "No, it actually means even if you don't get the job, right? Even if your marriage doesn't get better, yeah. Even if that you know friendship is lost forever, you can still be content, yeah. Like that just has way more depth to it, yeah. You know, and thinking about especially the situation that Paul was in, think about how Paul would hear someone misusing that verse. Yeah, as if they like they don't know he's the one who who like authored it through mm-hmm. inspiration. Yeah, and they're like, "Hey, Paul, you can get." He's in prison. Remember, right, Paul's right. in prison. Yeah. Paul, you can do all things. You can be like <laughs> yeah. by God's power, you can get yourself yeah. out of prison. And it's like that's not the the point is right, that I'm in right. prison. But what right. does it look like me for me to be content even yeah, in a circumstance right. like this? That's right. That's actually one of the first applications he's talking yeah, about. That's right. That's right. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, there you have it. The I think the most important Bible reading tool 
that right. you could possibly have. Never yeah. read a Bible first. You heard it here, the most important. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so in our next episode, we will be looking at the melodic line. Mm-hmm. So if you're wondering what on earth is a melodic line, you'll have to join us then. And we look forward to seeing you then. Okay.